Hey, good morning, Life Church. I'm so glad to be with you, or good afternoon, or good, I don't know, but I'm just glad you're there, whatever time zone you're in, whatever zone you're in, I'm glad you're here. And uh, I'm glad to be with you, and I'm excited about God's Word today and what God has for us. We're in a series called Better Together, and it sounds kind of vanilla, might even feel like a superficial slogan, but the truth is if you stop for one minute and think about it, better is something we all want. Our life as it is, is not. we all know we haven't arrived. You have a vision, a desire, a longing for a better life. And the truth is that you and I were made for community and that we want to be together. We just don't necessarily know how to do that well or have it uh, or live in such a way together that uh, good things happen and where we experience some of the things deep down we long for, like people knowing us and us knowing them and loving us and us loving them and so on and so forth. So better together. We, so as you think about that, I want you to sit in that. And to, this week we're talking about a better church. And again, that might make us double down on the idea of, oh, this is not my week. This is your week because God created you to become something that you have not yet become and to do things you know deep down they're in your heart to do and to live in a way where you flourish. And God's whole plan for that is in and through a better church. He created this community uh, as the place where we experience his goodness and his flourishing. The problem is we're not seeing that in many places in our world and in our culture. And we're not sure it's even possible anymore. And I want you to know it is possible. I've seen it in my life. And it's attested to in scripture. And here's the big idea. A better church is not an event. That's where we make the mistake. We go somewhere. We consume something. I'm going to go for an hour a week. A better church is not an event. It's a transforming community that is transforming the world. And we're going to look at that and take that apart over the next um, 30 minutes or so, 25 minutes or so as we dive into God's word. But I want to tell you about my own experience first. I was, um, when Marcy and I were first married, my wife, uh, we were in a community in southwest Detroit. And Detroit was in a place of uh, deterioration. There was a lot of reason maybe not to live there. But our home church was there. And we lived in southwest Detroit. And there was this strange, beautiful, earthy community of very diverse people. African American, Latino, Middle Eastern, and, and Anglo. And um, everything from people who are business people to people who are homeless at that time. And, um, and yet in this beautiful diversity, there was this, this community loved one another. And they made a huge impact on the world around them in southwest Detroit. They, they were feeding people who were hungry. And they had a ministry doing that. They were praying with people. They would regularly go out on the streets and ask people uh, what, how they could be pray for them and, and they uh, uh, and would help needs as they saw them appear before them. And, and uh, a lot of powerful things happened that way. Elder care was not big on the uh, world's agenda at that time, but this community saw people who were shut in and elderly and they took care of people. They took them communion and food and other things. Uh, 
there were so many powerful things that bubbled up out of this community. Support groups before support groups were a big th uh, deal, like Alcoholics Anonymous and people finding recovery and support uh, in the community uh, with like-minded people who are pursuing the same ends as them. And as Marcy and I were this young couple, we were like, this, this, this place is kind of mind-blowing. And as a young couple, we had people from the church who helped us fix up our house and make major repairs, all out of the goodness of their heart, not charging us. And I'm not saying if you charge somebody, that's not a thing, but it just was like this overwhelming generosity. When our first child was born, Alex, people brought us food and meals and, and asked us if we had needs. And we just had never been in a place like this. It was amazing. And the thing I want you to take hold of right now is, it was amazing in a place where most people thought was like a desert, not a flourishing place. Southwest Detroit was the place you drove around, not the place you drove to. And yet in the middle of that place that the world would have said, don't ever go there, there was this beautiful, uh, flourishing community that was making an impact. How did that happen? How did this church become that kind of place? That's the key question. And put a pin in that because I'm gonna tell you later, so leave you hanging there. But don't we all long to live in that kind of community? I do, and don't we all long to see it? I want you to imagine being part of that, a place where you regularly see God working and where people are committed to being together, where people share freely what they have and where you serve and are served by others, where, where needs get met and where <clears throat> God is worshiped and encountered and experienced regularly and joyfully and where People meet together in each other's homes and where you learn and grow and become all that God has for you to learn and become and grow. Do you know why you long for it? Because you were made for this. I, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to Alex's message from last week. It's all about how we were made for community, but I'm going to just repeat this one thing. God said in Genesis 2, it is not good for people to be alone. God created you and I for community. It's the way things work. And when we're not in community, it's like taking a seed. Imagine a seed of an a apple tree and you love apples and you want to have apples, but you, you don't put that seed in soil, you put it on cement. And it dies and it never produces the apples, not because it didn't have everything it needed in that seed, but that seed will only grow in the soil, rich soil of this earth. And you are like that seed and you have all this beauty in you and all this goodness in you and all this potential in you. But you can't grow apart from being in the soil of God's community, God's people. And you were made for this. And we see this not just I experienced it in the late 80s, early 90s. But this is a picture of actually what uh, I read about and what we learned about in Acts chapter 2 in the first church. Jesus uh, went around teaching and as the Son of God and showing people the way to live and, and loving people and living with his disciples. And he died for our sins on the cross and his resurrection occurred and he appeared to many people. He ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit was poured out on his people, those who followed him. And it tells us that as people began to gather and follow him the way he said, this is what happened. He, uh, everyone was filled with awe, it says in verse 43, Acts 2, 43. 
at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. The apostles were doing miracles and there was other good deeds happening and flowing from this community and serving. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This community that came together, this transforming community, transformed their world. And I want to point out three things that are a whole separate sermon. But these are the three things that flowed out of that community that, that transformed the world. Good deeds. They were generous and they were serving and they were sacrificial. And they were doing good deeds in their community and in the world around them. And that led to goodwill. Goodwill, every, it says they had the favor or of all the people around them. Not just those who were part of the church, but those who all lived around them because they were experiencing all the love an overflow of God's goodness through this community. And that led to good news. It says people were coming to faith daily because they saw this community of, and, and they said, look how these people love one another. They love God and there's something different here. I want to be a part of that. And they began to follow Christ. Now, how did that beautiful community happen? How did it come to be? Because that's the church functioning at its best. That's the church God's calling us to be. How were these people able to achieve and live into this contagious community? And Acts chapter 2 tells us this. I kept out the first verse, which is tells us how this community experienced this kind of transformation. It says the believers were devoted. And that word devoted means to continue steadfastly. It means to hold fast. It means they're committed to and they're not moving. What are you devoted to? What am I devoted to? We're all devoted to something. And what scripture teaches us, this is a key principle, is devotion determines direction. The things we're devoted to are the things we focus on, and that's the way we go. If I'm devoted to golf, I'm going to buy clubs. I'm going to read. I'm going to learn. I'm going to play. I'm going to probably live by a golf course. I, my life is going to begin to orient around my devotion. Um, and if I'm devoted to my work, same thing, right? So you go to school. You get an education. You you, pra you uh, practice whatever your career is. You, you get a... Um, uh, what's that word? <laughs> Practical experience in that career. You learn the skills. You do the work. You were, and then and you devote yourself to that. And you go to this place and you spend hours there. What are you devoted to? Are you devoted to parenting your kids or your marriage? There's good devotions and there's other things. It says that these original followers of Jesus were devoted to four key things that shaped their lives, that transformed their lives, and that transformed the world. And I want you to know this personally. If you're not experiencing, if you're not becoming who you know deep down God made you to become, if you're not making progress in that, and you're not doing the things that you feel like deep down there's a calling God has for you, there's things that God wants you to do, and you're not living how God created you to live and, and growing in that flourishing, 
I promise you, it, it comes down, it all starts with these first four key devotions. And if you want to experience transformation and transforming community, these things have to be operative in your life and mine. And they were devoted to four things. I want to tell you what they were. They were devoted to the Word of God. They were devoted to the people of God. They were devoted to the worship of God. And they were devoted to talking with God. We're going to look briefly at each of these because you may think you know what they mean, but I just want you to sit in this for a minute because I promise you're probably going to learn something new. And it's not so much about learning as it is about doing. So they're devoted to the Word of God. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is what we know as the New Testament. It's the words and the ways of Jesus as outlined in Scripture, and it's God's Word to us. And God's Word to us is what tells us the truth about who He is, what this world is all about, and who we are and who we're meant to be, how we're meant to live. You can't live and be and do without the Word of God. I, uh, when I was in uh, college, I uh, started learning guitar from, from a friend of mine who was a, a master guitarist. And he would say, okay, here's a C chord. Bring. And my go, Bring. you know, no. And I would, he'd play it and I'd watch him. And then he'd say, okay, now you do it. So he'd tell me what it is. He'd show me what it is. And then he'd say, now you do it. The way I learned how to play guitar is I, wa- I listened And then I did it. And that's what scripture teaches over and over and over again. James says, don't just be hearers of the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. If we only listen, we deceive ourselves. I could watch my friend play guitar all day long and never learned guitar because I only heard him talk about it. I never did it. And there's a lot of people who say, I'm a Christian. And all they do is they hear these words, but they never put them into practice. And Jesus says that person is like a person who builds this beautiful house, but instead of putting it on rock and a firm foundation, they build it on sand. And when trouble comes, it washes away. And a lot of our Christian church is washing away right now. And I believe it's because we're hearers of the word, but we haven't learned how to do it. And so that, these early disciples, they, that's what they were doing. They were, they were learning and listening and then putting it into practice. And that's what you and I need to do. You want to learn how to have a, a, a better marriage? Read God's word and put it into practice. You want to learn how to uh, be more loving and present with your kids? You got to listen to God's word and put it into practice. You want to find out your calling and who you're meant to be. You got to read God's word and put it into practice. That's the key right now. And every time you read God's word, I want to encourage you to do this. Say, Lord, what are you saying? And how do I now obey that and put it into practice? All transforming communities and people who are being transformed, this is what they do. This is how they live. That's the first thing. The second thing is we experience this transforming community when we're devoted to the people of God. The fellowship is what the word says. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And we probably have a lot of images that come to mind when we think of fellowship. If you've been around church, you might go, it's lame or it sounds tame. But the real word koinonia is this deep, powerful word. And it means partnership and participation. Think about your hands, right? 
fellowship is the interlocking of the hands. It's like there's this, you're connected and I'm going to do good. I'm going to be your partner in the work of God together. And I'm going to participate in life with you. That's koinonia even is used of giving because it's this self-giving love. And we don't have to guess what it means because it's said it in the passage. Their koinonia is this sacrificial love. And in the passage, um, Luke, who's uh, uh, writing uh, the book of Acts, says they ate together. That's koinonia. And they prayed together for one another and with one another. And that's koinonia. And they sacrificially gave to one another as they had need. And that's koinonia. It beautifully reflects the sacrificial love of Jesus. Now think about this, because we sometimes make it way too complicated. What did Jesus do with his disciples? He ate with them. What did Jesus do? He prayed with them. What did he do with them? He sacrificially loved them, washing their feet, serving them. And this is what koinonia means. We live that way with each other. And I want to tell you a really important principle, and I would even encourage you to write this down because I regularly come back to this, and this is a cultural phenomenon. And we, when, when we grow up in a culture, when we're discipled by a culture, which is our kind of comfort-oriented American culture, we, we, uh, we can be living by principles that are invisible to us because it's like the air we breathe. In the end, I want you to hear this. We use things and love people or we love things and we use people and we live in a culture that loves things and frequently uses people how do how do you know that how many people are alone how many people are anxious how many people are frustrated how many people feel frustrated about broken relationships with their family and or their spouse or their kids or their workplace or how does that, because people feel used, taken advantage of, un, not seen and not heard. The church is the place that's supposed to love people and use things. doesn't mean we don't like some of the good things we have, but we don't live for them. The koinonia loves people and uses things. And that's what God calls us to be. And it says they met together in church and in small groups. This is every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. That word sincere means without wax. And in the ancient world, they would sometimes take pottery and they would sell it, but it would have cracks in it. And, um, and so they would, uh, uh, they would wax the cracks and re- uh, stain it or glaze it in a way that would make the pottery look more valuable than it was. It was like a hypocrisy. It was deceptive. Sincere means without wax. It means there, uh, I'm going to show you the real me. It, the word means authenticity. And everybody wants that. Don't you want to be able to share who you really are and still have people love you and appreciate you? Of course you do. Everybody does. We pay people to listen to us. And I'm all about counselors and other uh, spiritual direction, and we should have those people. But think about this. How, much, how many lives would be healthier if they actually were able to share what's really on their hearts and be heard and be prayed with and be supported and vice versa? And small group, they lived in small group community, and part of that community is they read the Word of God together. They tried to obey it together. They prayed for one another and they uh, lived in 
communion, community with one another, this fellowship. And that's what God desires for you and I. I want to encourage you to get in a small group, and I'm going to talk about that at the end. Third, they were devoted to the worship of God. This is the transforming community they experienced. The word of God, the people of God, and the worship of God. It says they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And this is about worship. This is about the communion service being the center. And I'll come back to that in a moment because I want to first say everybody knows something about worship. And people often go, oh, I don't even know how to do that. I'm not even going to try to do that. And everybody knows some of the key elements of worship. I was with some friends and we were playing this uh, scramble, which means the four golfers are all playing. They're sharing each shot. And it's a team um, win, not an individual win. And so one of our friends crushed this drive. That means he hit it really far and straight. And it hit the pin, which is where you're trying to put the ball. And I, it was unbelievable. And everybody's like, whoa, you're the man, you're the man. <laughs> and, and they said, and, and someone else said, you saved us because we were, uh, go, we were falling back in the rankings. And that one shot put us back in contention for first place. You saved us. And you're like, okay, uh, what's that? There's three core elements to worship. It's recognition of something beautiful, something good, something praiseworthy. We see, we, and we all do it. When you hear a beautiful song, if you're a guitarist and you see someone play great, you're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. It's recognition. I see this beautiful thing or this good thing. I appreciate it with my words and I give thanks where appropriate. Thank you so much. That shot saved us. And uh, I don't want to uh, minimize the worship of God, but what I want you to help to understand is to understand it. True worship is always toward God alone. But we have these aspects of adoration and appreciation that that's what worship is. You can, to recognize what God has done, appreciate what he's done and thank him. And that's what we do when we share communion. We're, we're recognizing Jesus he died for our sins out of his love for us. And he showed us how to live. And we're appreciating it. Lord, I'm so thankful that you gave me new life and forgiveness. And actually, I'm thanking you because Eucharist is the Greek word for communion means to give thanks. That's what it literally means. I'm giving you thanks, Lord, for your goodness to me. And part of that worship is we talk about communion and are the offering. And people are like, oh, no, here we go about the money. You know, um, the offering is more frequently referred to as worship in the Bible than anything else because it's this beautiful picture of, God, you gave me 100% of all I have. God doesn't need your money. He gave you everything. He gave me everything. The life I have comes from God. Beautiful smile. <laughs> okay, all right, not so, but... Uh, the money I have, the job, all these good gifts come from God. And the worship offering is me in an act of faith saying, God, I love you. And I'm showing my love for you. And I'm showing my trust in you by giving you back a percentage of what you've given me. And it's an act of worship. I'm thankful for all you've given me. And it's an it's a opportunity for me to join God in God's mission in the world. And so I'm giving this also to advance his mission because I'm showing... He's my first priority. And those are both aspects of worship. And this community was worshiping together and they were lifting up the name of Jesus. And we're going to share communion later on. And I want to invite you to take some time to recognize, appreciate, and thank God for what he's done. This is part of what will transform you. This worship of God is transformative. 
And then the last thing is talking to God. They devoted themselves to talking with God. They devoted themselves to prayer. And we use that word prayer and it's like worship. It becomes this Christianese word and we often don't think about what does it mean. Prayer is merely you and I talking with God. Listening as we hear God's word or God speaks through his spirit into our hearts. Or the community around us says something and we know that that came from God. Or, and, and, and God wants to speak to us. And he wants to hear from us. He wants to hear from us and, and hear what the burdens of our heart and have us pour, those, pour out our hearts to him. So think about this. Have you shared your heart with somebody? Have you confessed to doing something wrong? Have you ever asked for something? Then you can pray. And that's what we need to do. It's simple and we need to do it together. And this community that was so vibrant, they devoted themselves to prayer. Jesus said that his house should be known as a house of consumption. You read that, right? A house of consumption. Where you can come and get whatever you want and get really great goods at a low, low price and, and have whatever you want and be comfortable. No, no, no. Oh my gosh, that's Sam's Club or Walmart or one of those places, right? See, we're often functional atheists. And the church is often a group of functional atheists where we talk, talk, talk. And, a, and an atheist and a functional atheist is someone who acts and lives like everything good that happens in the world happens because I do it. Well, where's God? Not there. Jesus said, let me come back to it. He said, my house will be called a house of prayer. Why? Because we're going to be a community of people who depend so fervently on God. that we, God, we need you to show up. We need you to pour out your spirit. We need you to bring healing. We look at the Ukraine and we go, what a mess. We look at Russia and all the craziness and we're like, what a mess. We look at our own country and the racial uh, division and the political polarization. We go, God, please bring healing. There's insanity in this place and we need you to bring sanity there's selfishness in this place. And we need you, Lord, to help us to be unselfish. There's, uh, Lord, there's not, there, there's a evil that's being perpetrated. And we need you to bring your goodness. And, and we are people of prayer. And the early church knew this. James said it like this. The earnest prayer of a righteous person. The earnest prayer, Lord, I'm praying, of a person who's right with God, not that they're perfect, has great power. Do you have power in your life? If you lack power, it may be because you lack prayer. And that power doesn't come from you or me. It comes from God. But he won't force himself on us. We have to invite him in. We have to ask him. We have to partner with him. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and wonderful results. The early church saw these great and powerful things happen. Why? Because they were devoted to prayer. They were earnestly praying and believing God for what he wanted to accomplish in our world. And look at the power that was released from this community. It's just amazing to think about. These people were together in community, in fellowship, in koinonia. And what were they doing? They were learning the word of God. They were loving the people of God and they were speaking to the heart of God and lives got changed. Needs were met. Burdens were lifted. Joy was shared. 
People were reached and God was glorified. Amen? That's what we want. That's what we long for. That's what we're made for. And it all comes down to this. They were a powerful and transformational community because they devoted themselves to the things that Jesus said you need to be devoted to. They didn't just have the words of Jesus. They followed the ways of Jesus and they saw the results and the transformation and the fruit of Jesus. We have to be hearers who do what Jesus says. And that church experienced beautiful things. And this church has experienced rebirth and renewal. And I believe part of that is because of practicing these things. And that's why we have to redouble our commitment and devotion to these things. Let me give you a secret. Devotion is the key that unlocks the door to transformational community. And you and I want this community and we want this transformation, but we have to commit to it. We have to commit ourselves to it. And you're like, well, I'm scared. What if people do the wrong thing? Don't be scared. They will. It's going to happen. <laughs> it's probably going to be me. And you know what? That's why we're a community of forgiveness and learning how to follow the ways of Jesus. We repent and we, and we turn. Um, but devotion is the key. And I want to tell you one more secret. One real step is worth a thousand good intentions. And we can hear a great message or hear the word of God and have all these things like, oh yeah, someday I'm going to do A, B, and C. But right now you have an opportunity to take one real step. So will you take one real step with me? I want you to pray and ask God, Lord Jesus, I'm praying right now that you would open my eyes, that you would touch my heart and help me to know the one real step you want me to take. And I want to give you a couple of suggestions here as we pray. Small group. We're starting a small group in the next couple weeks. I'm going to be in a group. It's my favorite thing about church. I love being in the Word of God with a small group of people and learning and, and then talking about how do I see God calling me to obey this? How can I, we pray for each other? How do we serve one another? It's this beautiful expression and I want to encourage you to get in a small group. You can't grow the way God wants you to grow apart from being in some kind of small group. And then sign up to serve. The other way this church unleashed its gifts or unleashed its good, God's goodness was every person used the gift they had to serve the Lord and the community. And that's what they're doing here. We need your gift. Sign up to serve. And when all of us contribute our gift, beautiful things happen. And then give to the home campaign. We're looking at a, a, um, a campaign to find a, a permanent home in Livonia. And we're so excited about that because that's going to allow us to expand our ministry both in that space and through that space to the community around us. I would encourage you to give to the home campaign. Marcy and I are praying and we're going to be giving, uh, uh, making a commitment to this building campaign. And I want to invite you to join us on that journey. Jesus Jesus loves you. Jesus is for you. And Jesus is giving you the pathway and me the pathway. But he won't force us to follow it. Jesus says, come on. Be devoted to my word. I'm speaking to you and it's for your good and for the good of the world. Be devoted to my people. Yeah, part of the beauty of the witness to the world is that we are this quirky group of people who all know and understand we're broken and need forgiveness. And yet Jesus is healing us and making us whole 
and we're committed to each other in spite of all that. And it becomes this irresistible, beautiful community. Be devoted to worship. Remember, keep God first. Be a worshiper. Know that your life is transformed as you connect yourself to God's life. And be a person who believes God to show up in fervent prayer. He is going to answer our prayers individually and together as we earnestly seek him and his will in our world. And these are the keys that create a transforming community. And we saw that community transform the world. And it will happen again and again. It'll happen every time a group of normal, everyday, down-to-earth people commit to follow Jesus like this. He will pour out his spirit and unleash his power and change the world. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just want to surrender myself to you right now and just confess that I'm way more American than I am Christian. I'm way more concerned with my comfort and making life easy. And yet, Lord, I've got to confess, I'm not becoming who I know you want me to become. And I do believe, Lord, you have a deeper calling on my life that I'm not experiencing. And Lord, it's because uh, I haven't made these commitments. And so, Lord, show me my next step, please. You're not asking me to make a thousand mile jump. You're, You're calling me to take one step to follow you in obedience. Show me that step and help me, Lord, to say yes and to take the risk of being involved in devoting myself to you and your church. And if you're here today, I want to invite you, if you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, he wants to meet you, he wants to invite you in, and he wants you to start this beautiful new life with him. And if you're ready for that, please pray with me. Lord Jesus, I'm inviting you into my heart right now. Forgive me my sins. You know my brokenness, and I'm just inviting you and asking you to help me to walk and receive your, your, your forgiveness and walk with you toward wholeness and walk with you, Lord, toward fulfilling your purposes in this world. I love you, Lord, and I pray that you would guide and direct me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed, I want to invite you to put that in the chat and message us. We want to help you take your next steps. Thanks for being here. God bless. Bye.